Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Unwrapped, a weekly show where we dive into the stories that drive crypto markets cutting through the noise and hype in digital assets. My name is Mark Oliveira. I'm a producer here at Real Vision. And with me today, we have Moritz Siebert, co-head of digital innovation strategy here at Real Vision and CIO of Exponential Age Asset Management and Sergio Silva, AKA Sergito Sergito on Twitter, NFT connoisseur and sales director at Fireblocks. Moritz, Sergio, welcome to the show. Well, please send us your questions. For our viewers, a message to our viewers, you can do it through the Real Vision Exchange, our website, YouTube, or Twitter. We want to hear from you. Let's get started with the latest price action. Bitcoin currently swinging within the 19 to 21K range, down over 70% from its all-time highs. This downswing affecting Bitcoin treasuries. We have this list here from BitcoinTreasuries.net compiled by at NVK. A lot of red. Many are down on their initial invested investment. If you look at the cost basis versus current value, it's an interesting chart because it gives us a sense where the institutions backing Bitcoin are at right now during this bear market. Bitcoin miners are also feeling the pain. We have core scientific among the largest publicly traded crypto mining operators in North America. They sold almost all of their Bitcoin holdings last month. We're also keeping an eye on the Fed. The minutes from the June Federal Open Market Committee will be released later today. They should give us a better understanding to which, how the Fed is going to be reacting. Are they going to be tightening monetary policy? And all of that said, that brings us to our first clip of the day. Moritz, last week you spoke with Joey Krug, co-CIO at Pantera Capital. Here's what he had to say about this current bear market. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely like the most challenging environment I've seen uh, from a price action standpoint in crypto. Um, I mean, I, I started, you know, investing in Bitcoin back in 2011. Obviously, the drawdown in 2011, 2012 was was worse than this in percentage terms. Uh, but in terms of like total capital and, you know, kind of the scale, uh, it's just, this is like much more intense than that, um, at least at least for me. One thing that's interesting about it it's how fast it's happened. Um, like in the 2018 drawdown, it really kind of just like slowly, steadily bled out over a year. And then the market kind of bottomed in, in December versus here, you know, crypto is tracking equities at like, you know, 2.5 to 3, 3 beta sort of. And then <clears throat> we had this Celsius stuff with, with the 3 euro stuff kind of blow up all at the same time. You know, obviously, it, it, the spread versus equities got really blown out, and you saw you know ETH trading in the low eight hundreds, um, you know, Bitcoin seventeen k, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's been a really interesting and, and definitely challenging environment. Moritz, that was a really fascinating clip talking about the bear market. What other topics did you guys touch on whenever you had the conversation with Joey? Yeah, it was really interesting. I enjoyed that chat with um, with Joey a lot. And, and and by the way, I was on mute just a second ago. So thanks for inviting me to the show. And uh, hi, Sergio. Hi, Marco. Um, 
It was great. You know, talking to, to Joey was the first time for me to speak to him. I think, you know, it was a repeat appearance for him on Real Vision, uh, Brutal Bear Market. Uh, we did speak about, you know, DeFi working actually relatively well, not the centralized lending piece, um, but, you know, protocols such as Aave, right, where you have automated liquidations and over collateralized like lending strategies. I mean, all of that has actually stood up quite well. Um, we touched on Tether. Uh, and the risks related, the potential risks related to Tether, not the potential risks, there are real risks related to Tether, but whether that will actually come to fruition um, remains to be seen. I guess, you know, with every day that, you know, Tether stands, it becomes a little bit more lindy and a little bit more resilient, and it might be more difficult to actually, you know, take it down by, by those people who actually want to take it down. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of them, by the way. Um, and we did speak about Ethereum potentially being a consensus trade, uh, which which I think is interesting. And it's one of the things that I heard uh, repeatedly in the past couple of weeks is, you know, people are looking to build up a Ethereum position, already have built up a Ethereum position, an expectation of the merge, which is, you know, proposed to be, you know, happening somewhere between, say, August and October, November, December. I mean, nobody knows for sure, but, you know, and, and that that could be a massive catalyst higher. And, um, I'm not sure why that necessarily has to be the case. Maybe, you know, some people have that uh, in their head for the wrong reasons. But if everybody's thinking along the same lines in markets, then, you know, what very often happens that it just doesn't play out that way and you get a different result. So that was, um, in a nutshell, the conversation with Joey. I thought it was great. I'm looking forward to doing it again um, at some point later on this year. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so, Moritz, Sergio, moving on to the developing stories. Over the past few days, we had news of more crypto industry failures, right? So, obviously, breaking news today, New York-based Voyager Digital filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They halted their withdrawals on July 1st. Some other casualties include Singapore-based crypto lender Vault. Uh, they're currently in talks with an agreement with London-based rival Nivo to, Nexo to be taken over. And we also have CoinLoan, a crypto lending platform that temporarily cut the daily withdrawal limit by 99% from 500K to 5,000. Moritz, what do you make of this growing list of crypto firms limiting or freezing customer withdrawals? How is this going to impact markets? Yeah, it's not a great sign to see this. I mean, to be quite frank, Marco, I think um, most of these platforms have essentially strategy, you know, issuing unrestricted securities. I mean, they weren't securities, but it's kind of like, you know, a hedge strategy whereby they engage in yield swap. I think we've touched that. Uh, we've touched on that a couple of weeks ago when I was on the show, you know, customers giving them funds. Um, with the promise of the yields, but then, you know, the platform, Celsius, whoever, you know, uses that money in an unsegregated form and engages in highly risky speculative activity as opposed to, you know, focusing on lending. So these platforms, I think, you know, will go out of business. Um, I don't think it is, you know, um, something that will cause the market to crater. Um, it's very bad for morale because, you know, a lot of retail money is on these platforms and, people will probably lose a lot of that money and, and and not get it back. That is that is my hunch at least. Um, so they may, you know, these the affected people unfortunately might want to stay away from the markets and kind of like they've had it. Um, but the overall size I don't think is is big enough for for it to really impact the market significantly. I think the two big things that we've seen that that rock the markets were, you know, three arrows and and, and Luna. And that has worked its way through the markets. It seems um, 
we're kind of like, you know, maybe bottoming out. We can speak about this in a minute, but I don't think there's um, still a massive risk with these um, CFI lending platforms. Yeah, on that note of CFI lending platforms, Sergio, I want to get your take in, I'll take on this as well, if you can jump in. Uh, what do you make of these CFI lenders and what are, what are your thoughts on this? Sure, and thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'll echo Mort's feelings about sentiment. It's obviously not great that, you know, this platforms that took client funds and put them to work in ways in which the clients never understood how those funds were being put at risk to generate that yield. Um, not good they're going on there, but at the same time, I like to see kind of the glass half full, um, and I'm hopeful that you know, the depositors can recover most of their funds. Um, and we're seeing not just from retail, but also institutional clients come in and go back to the core principles of blockchain technology, which is, you know, not your keys, not your coins. So understanding really your counterparty risk and who has control of your assets, as well as, you know, don't trust, verify and actually knowing what your assets are being used to, uh, to do, how they're generating yield. Obviously, DeFi protocols that are fully on chain and are immutable and transparent held up you know, pretty, pretty well. And you can always see what's happening with those. It was those black boxes that pretty much just copied the centralized finance model that really brought you know, the headaches. And morale will be low, but I think you know, we will take this opportunity to learn as an industry, as investors, as consumers, and hopefully come out stronger and more educated. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, on this topic of Voyager Digital, you know, I'm curious, you know, we obviously, we heard some news before that FTX, what they extended a credit line to them. Obviously that credit line is now gone. Now we're hearing with this lender vault that Nexo, you know, is gonna be taking over. Uh, that deal could fall through. Do you think that that maybe there could be more, you know, once they analyze the balance sheet of this company, th that they might decide, hey, this is not like a deal worth pursuing? I think it's hard to speculate, right? Especially because we don't know what's in the books. Um, obviously, the parallels to the global financial crisis back you know, a decade, over a decade ago, are quite clear in that burst turns went on there in March, and it wasn't really until September. Well, uh, where... sorry to interrupt, uh, Sergio. We just we have a viewer question here from Ralph Humphrey on the Real Vision website. He's asking, is there any clarity as to the legal status of clients of crypto lending platforms that may be in financial trouble? Moritz, I'm going to kick this one over to you. What are your thoughts on that question? Well, these platforms aren't regulated, they've never been regulated. Um, going forward, I guess they will be regulated. Um, I don't think there's any clarity, uh, unfortunately. You know, when you hear these, or when you read these messages, most recently by Vault, that they're stopping withdrawals. Uh, when you read the message from Celsius, which is now kind of like four weeks or so ago, they're stopping withdrawals. You know, they're, you know, they're essentially begin insolvency proceedings or takeover proceedings. It just it just feels like it sounds like the money's gone. I mean, maybe there's some you know something left over at the other day that can be distributed, but um, there's no clarity. There's no regulator to go to really. I mean, you know, those platforms were not regulated. They're not under the supervision of the CFTC or the SEC or any other regulatory authority in the world. I think so. You don't have this um, this this option of going to the ombudsman and and complaining about it. It it it, it just it just doesn't exist yet in in the digital asset space.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, got it. So we have another question here from Paul E. on the exchange. I'm going to throw this one over to you, Sergio, because we, you were just mentioning not your keys, not your crypto. What crypto exchanges are still safe? And do you recommend moving all crypto off exchanges and into private hard wallets? I think it's just high upset to you know, really take advantage of what crypto allows us, which is custody your own assets. So I would recommend it not out of you know a sense of fear. Um, I recommended it at the top as well. And every, every day since, I think it's important that we take responsibility for our own assets and, and really go full lens and make sure not just custodying your assets, but doing it in a secure way, making sure you have you know, cold storage, hardware wallets, making sure your seed phrases are well backed up. Um, as to what's gonna happen to the rest of the exchanges, I think we'll continue to see a wave of consolidation, again, paralleling what we saw back in the financial crisis where you know the stronger lenders took over some of the businesses that had made some you know, bad decisions and, and were weak. And the system today is much, much stronger than it was before. So I'm looking forward to seeing that happen in crypto as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, right there with you. So on the note of crypto industry turmoil, last Friday, we had this interview with CoinFlex CEO Mark Lamb. First, some context. Leslie Lamb, chief marketing officer at CoinFlex, is a frequent contributor on this show. On June 23rd, CoinFlex, obviously, they halted customer withdrawals. CEO Mark Lamb, who is married to Leslie Lamb, uh, confirmed the halt in redemptions is due to a CoinFlex account holder going into default. It was later revealed on Twitter that that account holder is Roger Ver, an early Bitcoin investor. Mark Lamb claims Ver owes CoinFlex uh, around $47 million worth of USDC. Ver is, of course, denying that he defaulted on this debt and is, in fact, claiming that he is owed money by CoinFlex. He doubled down on that statement on a Bitcoin Cash Twitter spaces over the weekend. Uh, our very own Ash Bennington asked the CoinFlex CEO why they operated in such a way that one account could effectively bring down the whole company. Take a listen. Why would an exchange operate so close to its risk limits that a single individual defaulting on a margin call would force you to suspend redemptions of other customers? Yeah, that's a great question. And before I answer that question, I, I do want to say that um, we are going to be reworking our margining uh, rules and, and contracts after this, such that there's no accounts uh, that have manual margin agreements. Um, this is something that most exchanges do. They have uh, uh, non-liquidation accounts that are institutional customers or large whale customers. Um, this is something that is commonplace, not only in crypto, but also in the traditional financial industry. And although it's common, although it may be commonplace, it's still not something we should be doing going forward. It's, it's in hindsight, uh, we would not have done it, you know, in the past. Um, the reason, the reason for an account like this, the reason for an arrangement like this is it enables the customer to trade, um, you know, with, with, 
with more confidence that they will not be liquidated and keep cash on the sidelines in, able to, in, in order to fund those liquidations without having to worry that their ability to meet those margin calls uh, won't be hindered by the fact that they might be asleep. Moritz, Sergio, what are your thoughts on this clip? Moritz, I want to start with you. I know that you had a lot of thoughts that we spoke about offline. Give me your rundown. And I watched it actually two times, not the entire length, but, you know, certain parts of it uh, over the weekend. And, and honestly, I think, you know, watching it, you could feel his pain, you know, the pain that he's currently going through as, as his business is under so much stress. In full disclosure, I've never had any assets with them or exposure to them, and I don't you know, think I'll have any in the future. Um, look, we're looking to, you know, to give a balanced view here um, as as Real Vision. We don't have an opinion as, um, you know, as, as to the future of any of these businesses. You know, just personally, it didn't uh, it didn't sound very convincing to me, to be honest. Um, and I don't like these business models uh, to begin with. Like, you know, this CFI type of I have a platform and I take your assets and I take them for a ride and I pay you a yield for it. It's completely intransparent. I don't like these businesses to begin with. You know, I think there's good businesses to be had in that space that have to do with lending. Lending is an important function for markets to work, right? And you can engage, you can run the lending business in a in a first class way, in a very transparent way, and focus on you know the lending part, you know, fixed versus floating or maturity transformation, all these type of things. Have it over collateralized. DeFi does that really well. This other part of I'm taking your money and I'm staking it or I'm you know putting it out on the risk curve, I don't like that very much. So I guess the overall space might actually be helped um, with you know these type of businesses um, changing, uh, you know maybe not going out of business but but definitely changing um, to the better. Um, that would that would certainly help the space. Well, yes, no, I'm definitely, I definitely believe it would definitely help the space. I want to apologize to the viewers. You know, we're having, experiencing some technical issues we're having today. Um, keeping on the same story, however, Sergio, what are your thoughts of Coin, the CoinFlex CEO? What is, what is your take on this story? Well, personally, I also don't have any exposure. Um, and I would just echo again what Moritz said. I think it's important for any business that's taking customer funds to have clarity, like be more clear with their depositors and also for clients to to understand better what they're getting, you know, what they're providing those funds for. So I would invite everybody in the industry to to maybe do better in that sense. And, and you know, we're obviously seeing an industry that's growing, that's maturing. Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, there's, there's big decisions by key players that bring a bad light to the whole industry. So I think it's upon all of us to make sure that we're all helping each other get more educated and and you know just have business models that are that are even more friendly to the consumer because otherwise we're just inviting a lot of regulatory burden um and sometimes you know and i know we'll talk about regulation later in the show but you know regulators don't really understand what's going on and and it could be really negative uh for the growth that we're experiencing yeah well on that note of friendly on a more positive note, you have this interesting story about MakerDAO members voting on what could be a new chapter in the DeFi history books. It's just the kind of story to lift our spirits. Break it down for the viewers. Sure. So MakerDAO, which is the organization that is behind Compound, the DeFi protocol, the DeFi money market protocol, where you can take an over collateralized loan on your crypto and mint DAI, DAI being a stable coin. 
um, they are voting on approving a hundred million die vault for Huntington Valley Bank. This is a bank that's over 150 years old. It's out in Pennsylvania. And the idea behind this vault is that the bank will be able to access DAI liquidity by selling up to 50% of the loan to MakerDAO. And then Maker will be you know, collateralized by real world assets. And I think the big unlock here is that integration of a DeFi protocol into the real world. And it's kind of what we've all been building towards, you know, for the last 12 years or so. We're really bringing the power of DeFi decentralization into the real world, being able to unlock value. Um, and I look forward to seeing this proposal pass, hopefully, and maybe other big financial institutions take note and start coming and doing things uh, more in tangent with what's being built on the DeFi space. Yeah, definitely. I really love the positivity in this story, but I also want to discuss the flip side right here at Real Vision. We want to discuss both sides. And it looks like Sergio, like on that article that there was some skepticism on Twitter, uh, users are asking, why wouldn't banks get loans in TradeFi or banks, you know, claiming that banks could dump their worst assets on this DAO? Any thoughts on this skepticism? Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of Twitter comments uh, under one of the main tweets, obviously, anybody can can post their replies to Twitter. I think, you know, questioning things is, is valid, but also looking deeper into the protocol and the proposal, um, you know, the bank will keep 50% of any loans that they uh, partner up with Maker. So the bank definitely has a stake in making sure that they're only underwriting high quality loans. This bank also has a history of, you know, underwriting good loans. And so, I don't think there is any incentive for this bank to take advantage of this. On the flip side, I think the bank is probably realizing that this is an opportunity to bring an a older, you know, more traditional business into the new world. Um, and so it's important to question, but I think it's also important to educate, read, and really understand what's going on here. I think this is super, super positive for the crypto industry as a whole. No, I definitely agree. Uh, so and so far, it looks like 85% of people have voted in favor of the proposal. The vote closes tomorrow. Well, now moving on to the next story, EU regulation. So last Thursday, the EU agreed on what some are calling landmark regulation to clean up the Wild West of crypto assets. This new law known as the Markets in Crypto Assets or Mika is designed to create a framework for crypto assets in the region. Right. So the main goal here is to harmonize the EU market, create regulatory certainty, among other things. But again, many are skeptical, claiming that it's making life tougher for a lot of players in the crypto market. It's creating tougher standards, adding more liability if they lose investor funds. And the bill is even aiming to address environmental concerns that we've heard about. If you remember, uh, there were earlier provisions of this bill. They wanted to ban uh, proof of work based cryptos. You know, thankfully, that provision was removed. Uh, there's a few key aspects of this bill that I want to touch on. We're not going to touch on all of them today because details are still evolving and we have a plan to have a full breakdown in the coming weeks. But I specifically want to get into what I found the most interesting part of the bill, and that is the negotiations around stable coins. Ernest Erdesan, a member of the European Parliament, tweeted out that Mika provides safeguards against cases like the collapse of Luna stablecoin, adding that large stablecoins will be subject to uh, stricter reserve requirements and stablecoins will be capped at a daily transaction volume of 200 million euros. 
Now, that may sound like a lot, but to put that into perspective, Tether and USDC easily have right now daily transaction volumes in the billions per day, with Tether being in the tens of billions. I actually think it's around 50 something billion. Uh, so that's it's like a really low amount. It seems like almost it could be a punishment. I don't want to say that it's a punishment, but anyway, another key thing to note here is truly decentralized platforms and NFTs are not currently in Mika's scope, primarily because it does not cover assets without identifiable issuers. And Christine Lagarde had a call for a Mika 2.0 initiative because she wants to cover DeFi lending and staking assets without identifiable issuers. Clearly, this is something to keep an eye on as more details develop. And on a related story, on Monday, lawmakers proposed an amendment that would see NFT platforms be subject to money laundering regulation. Under a fully nationalized version of this AML bill, NFT platforms would essentially become what's known as obliged entities. And this would mean that places like uh, marketplaces like OpenSea or Rarible, they would that are entities that they act as the middleman for importing, minting, and trading NFT assets, they'd fall under this, and they'd have to assess the risk of dirty money in their systems, do identity checks on new customers, investigate suspicious transactions. Right now, all of this is in the proposal stage because they're leaving the procedures to a wider overhaul. Sergio, on the topic of NFTs, is a move like this warranted? Could dirty money and wash trading really be happening to the extent regulators are claiming? Or do you think there are different motives behind implementing these types of rules? And what are your overall thoughts about this? Sure, well, let me start from the top, right? Um, obviously, it's not a ban. Um, there's regulation, it's coming, and it's kind of like welcoming digital assets into the traditional frameworks. I think that's a positive. Um, you mentioned, for example, that the uh, you know, first iteration of this was uh, proof of work will be banned, and now that's been taken away as regulators start understanding the value propositions better. So when it comes to NFTs, I still think there is a lot of you know just information around them that might not be fully understood. I do think that having consumer protection is important, um, and I do think that you know it will be good that if you're touching fiat rails, there is some sort of protection against money laundering. I personally don't think money laundering is that easy to do on blockchain, just given the nature, everything's public, you can check everything. And you also always usually offer via exchanges. Most of them have KYC requirements. Um, but again, just I think looking at it broadly, it's good that they're embracing digital assets. I think we just have to work with them as an industry to help them see really where the risks are uh, and make sure that we're working together in crafting this, this regulations. No, I definitely agree They we have to be working together. Another viewer question just came in, and this one is for Moritz. Moritz, could you discuss your view on balancing risk in the crypto space? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I mean, there's a couple of ways that you can, you know, manage risk and, and get exposure to this space. I mean, I, I love trend following, I guess, you know, people people know that. Maybe at some point we can do an episode as to why, you know, trend following is, you um, you know, in the way that you would do it in the traditional markets, if you just wanted to move that over to the to the digital asset space, you'll find it a little bit more difficult because you don't have as much diversification in these assets. They're much more positively correlated and, and shorting isn't as easy as well. But, you know, this is a very, you know, proven, a very robust, time-tested approach to trading the markets where, you know, you're essentially agnostic as to, you know, whether 
whatever the the news are, whatever your view is, you just you know have a system, follow the system, and and then trade it. So that that is great. I think you know I'm probably beating a dead horse now. I've I've said it before that I find the digital asset markets to be the most efficient and also the most inefficient markets at the same point in time. You know, a lot of people they just have long positions in a bunch of coins, some of them leveraged. I mean, if you view as that in a couple of years time, the space is going to be uh, many times higher because blockchain technologies are disruptive and they're changing the world, then then great. I mean, you know, have that exposure. Um, to a certain extent, we have that, you know, but I am a big fan of, you know, stepping away from these kind of like feelings and from your own views of the space and actually have a system and a and a risk managed approach um, to trading in these markets. Um, there's a couple of things available in the digital asset space that you, in terms of arbitrage and trading opportunities that you no longer see in the traditional markets, you know, basis and curve trading and you know, just, you know, exchange arbitrage type of trades. Um, all of that's great. I mean, there's, you know, a, a good chance to, um, to generate some alpha and make some great returns. So yeah, take them, um, trade it while it lasts. Um, and other than that, you know, enter the market, have a stop, know where you want to get out, you know, position size appropriately. And in the market as it is right now with, you know, uh, markets moving down, yeah, my system doesn't have a long position. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, definitely agree with you there, Moritz. Sergio, on the subject of risk, what about NFT risk management? How do you approach that? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think, you know, I collect NFTs uh, because I love the art. I love the community building uh, and I love that they can become value delivery platforms. I think looking at NFTs as tradable tokens in the short term um, is not place to really get alpha over the long term, just given the spreads, right? You're paying platforms two and a half, five percent, plus creators uh, seven and a half, ten percent, fifteen percent of commissions. So it makes it really tough to trade it as an alpha generation. So I like them for the art, I like them for the communities, and I like them for what they will be in the future. Um, that's my take on NFTs as far as like creating a portfolio. It's a five, ten year plan. Right, five, 10 year plan, community. That's, you know, those are all the big buzzwords there in NFT. And I myself, I'm part of the on-chain monkey community. So shout out to them. Um, so now moving on to the final part of our show where we cover what we don't have time to talk about, but you need to know. Moritz, why don't you kick things off here? What stories on your radar today? Um, yeah, one story. I mean, I read this morning that uh, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, um, has decided to stop their their wallet. Um, I've never been a customer of Facebook's or now Meta. It never appealed to me, but you know, obviously they they had an attempt to go into essentially a world currency reserve type of you know stablecoin, um, starting I think with libra and then it became dm or the other way around and they stopped that and now they're stopping their wallets so they they seem to be stepping back from it um so that's what i read and then maybe the other thing that viewers may find interesting in which which i can share anonymously i mean this this morning i had a very long call with one of the largest um 
quantitative digital asset trading firms in the world, um, many hundreds of millions of dollars under management. And you know, it's just talking about what you know they could see in the market in terms of liquidations going through and you know on-chain data and all these type of things. We're just you know chatting off 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 topic really a little bit. I mean, there is this rumor that you know there could be three exchanges uh, at risk uh, of failure, but it doesn't seem very likely for these exchanges to go down. It just could happen. If if that happens, we could see the markets uh, move lower. Um, but what we've also seen for the past couple of you know days now really is this twenty thousand level in Bitcoin, the one thousand level in Ethereum seems to be something like a plateau, something like you know uh, a base, um, and it it could move higher from here. Um, some people have said that the lows are in. I don't want to go as far and say that because markets have a tendency to surprise us. But if you have a longer term view, if you are of the opinion, again, I repeat myself that you know in many in the years down the road, these blockchain technologies are going to be successfully disrupting um, existing businesses and building new ones, and therefore you want to be long, then it's probably a good time to buy. Maybe not the best time to buy because you're not going to be picking the low tick here. And if those markets move lower, like let's say to 15K in Bitcoin or 10K in Bitcoin, then obviously emotions kick in and a lot of people might actually freak out and sell. So you wouldn't be you wouldn't have the stomach potentially to buy it then. But if you have a longer term view, um, those levels might be um, might be uh, a reasonable a reasonable price to build up some exposure. Again, do it in a you know appropriate way in terms of position sizing. Uh, if you can, like me, use a system to do it and, and follow your rules. Um, and if not, you know, be careful with these markets and don't overtrade. It's better to undertrade than to overtrade in terms of exposure. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, since we're on this subject or in this specific story, you know, do you think there's a possibility that we could drip down further with we mark like macro uh, factors playing into this? Or do you believe it's it's just the like the companies or the everything that's being contained within this industry? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, the last couple of months, and you all know this, um, a lot has been said about the um, increased correlation between digital assets and the NASDAQ or equities or the macro in general. And, you know, crypto has become a macro asset, a risk on asset. Um, it has suffered because of inflation. Yesterday was a super interesting macro day, right, with, you know, um, WTI crude trading below 100 uh, at the front of the curve again. Um, we haven't seen this print for a while. Um, bond markets going up. Um, so, you know, maybe inflation, and those might be baseline effects, but uh, maybe inflation, you know, will come down as we're entering into this recessionary environment with, you know, the country that I live in, Germany, essentially suffering a lot from high energy prices and insecurity around it. Um, if you have this massive recession, inflation comes off. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you want? Do you want the recession or do you want the inflation? You, you ideally want neither, right? But a lot has been focusing on, on, on the inflation numbers recently. And I think crypto has been going down because of that as well. If that stops, if there's like a change of the narrative arc and you know we have less inflation or less 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 than expected inflation maybe less of the rate hikes coming in then that could be um essentially bullish for the market but again i don't have that crystal ball but i just found yesterday's price action and what we've seen in the traditional markets a very very interesting day 
Hey, well, let's hope that, uh, you know, that, that things change and they turn around. So that's a really interesting uh, perspective, Moritz. Uh, so my story, my for the topics that we don't have time to talk about, but you need to know, HTC is launching a metaverse phone with Ethereum Polygon support. This phone is named Desire 2022 Pro. It was announced on Tuesday. It comes with a digital asset wallet and virtual reality headset, which is super cool. You know, I, I love playing with my Oculus. I always love when this industry is, you know, advancing the tech and we have a mainstream company like HTC jumping in to this industry. Sergio, what about you, man? What story did you come across? Yeah, so in the NFT space, um, Yuga Labs, the creator of Bora Ape Yacht Club, uh, owners of CryptoPunks and, and MeBits, they sued Ryder Rips for trademark infringement. So Ryder is somebody that's been um, just taking the Bored Ape art and using it to sell his own collection. I think this is very interesting times for the NFT world because, you know, people scream decentralization and sometimes they parallel with anarchy. Right, and there's being no rules um, where there's really different types of licensing models. And Yuga Labs has chosen to give the IP to the NFT holders, but they also kept the trademark for Bordy Yap Club and their logos. So I think it's important for creators to, if they want to follow those licensing models, fight for them. Um, there's other models like CCO where you just grant all rights to anybody um, and make sure that players in space are being kept honest and that we're all playing, you know, with the same rules, which is to empower creators and artists um, and really get involved in a time where this, this industry is being born and, and growing. And it's, it's a wonderful time. So I think keeping it clean is, is very important. So I thought that was very significant. Yeah, empower creators and artists. I love that. Moritz, Sergio, thank you both so much for joining us on the show today. I want to apologize to you and to the viewers again for the technical difficulties difficulties that we had, but it was truly a great conversation nonetheless. We hope to have you both back on the show soon. Thank you guys again. Thank you, Marco. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Well, that's it, everybody. That's it for this week's show. Remember, you can keep the conversation going in the comments section on the exchange or on our Pro Crypto Discord server. This Friday, we have a very special episode of Raul's Adventures in Crypto. Raul is back from vacation and fully recharged, and he sits down with FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried. We're going to leave you with a snippet of the interview. The full episode, again, is out this Friday. Ralph says he got more from SBF than anyone else. You don't want to miss this one. See you next week live on Crypto Unwrapped. I mean, it's been an extremely messy, uh, you know, last month, obviously. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things um, is that this hasn't been just a crypto phenomenon. Like when you look at, at, at what's happening in markets, right, you see similar things happening in tech. You see similar things to some extent happening you know, all over the ecosystem where I, you know, basically just have a really large, you know, I retrenchment of all of the gains that, you know, have happened over the last, you know, year plus uh, in, in markets. And I, you know, it was sort of triggered by the Fed initially by, you know, the expectations that rates were going to finally really start rising and rising more than people thought. Um, but at this point, I mean, the current we've seen in markets, I think, is out of line with what 3% interest rates would normally represent. Yeah, I mean, I looked at this and actually I use, you know, monetary tightening as in the rate of change of monetary tightening plus commodity prices plus inflation, all of this stuff and the dollar. I think it's the largest tightening of monetary conditions in all economic history as far as I can find. And it just happened really fast. So, yeah, as you said, 
this is not a crypto event. This is just a liquidity event, and it's happening. I mean, look at the oil market today. Everyone's super bull on oil. Last thing I heard, somebody had a $350 price target. It's down 10% today alone. Yeah, exactly. And right, and it starts to get to the, like, wait, shit, is it that everything is down because we need to spend all our money on oil, or is oil down because you don't have any money to spend left on oil? Like, like, like what's the narrative even anymore? Uh, well, I think it's a combination of the two, right? Because what you've done is created demand destruction. But what's interesting to me is I think we're just shifting between um, what was inflation fears to now is what is a growth collapse. And for me, that's actually pretty bullish to the longer, longer duration assets like tech that got smashed and crypto that got smashed.